Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Stacey Whitstock talks about education studies, research methodologies, basic writing programs, institutional hierarchies, culturally responsive teaching, the myth of standardized English, and writing assessment. Dr. Stacey Whitstock is the Assistant Director of Composition and Assistant Professor in Residence in the English Department at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. She received her PhD in Education and Writing, Rhetoric, and Composition Studies from the University of California, Davis. Her dissertation examined a basic writing program shared between a University of California campus and a community college, revealing how material and ideological macrostructures, including institutional power hierarchies and deficit perspectives on literacy and language, shaped programmatic microstructures like curriculum, pedagogy, and faculty agency. Her research has appeared in Research in the Teaching of English and Praxis, a writing center journal, and her forthcoming manuscript in the Journal of Basic Writing examines the epistemological and pedagogical dominance of the UC system's analytical writing placement exam in a basic writing course. Stacy, thanks so much for joining us. You received your PhD in education with an emphasis in writing, rhetoric, and composition studies from UC Davis. I imagine you were taking education classes as well as courses in rhetoric and composition. What do you think were some of the unique advantages to taking classes in education and and being a part of this joint program in education and rhetoric and composition? Yeah, so you are right that I was taking classes in education as well as classes and, you know, rhetoric and writing studies. Um, And so the the university writing program at UC Davis is separate from the English department. So I was working with faculty in the university writing program. um, And then I was also working with faculty in education. And, you know, this is sort of my like soapbox, but I feel like, um, I don't feel like folks in rhetoric and, you know, rhetoric and composition get as much exposure to different kinds of methods education, like research methods education, as like our field is increasingly moving towards in terms of our expectations for scholarship. Like more and more often journals are interested in, um, you know, getting more information, not just journals, but readers are interested in learning more about the methods you used in your study and understanding sort of the the methods for data analysis and for collecting data and all that sort of stuff. And you know, and I think that we do a good job of, of uh, with like qualitative methods in particular, but I think that there's just a lot of like potential in partnering with education programs on, um, you know, exposing uh, like PhD and master's students to, to a wider range of different kinds of research methods. And I think that was the real like benefit of my program is that I took like, I think I counted at one point, it was six or seven methods classes. Um, And they weren't just like, here's how you do this thing. It was really thinking like through the methodologies and like why you would work with a certain, you know, population and maybe consider these methods or why you like the ethics of data analysis or, or how we conduct interviews. Like I got to really dig in deep into specific methods. Like I took an interview methods class. I took, you know, quantitative methods classes, statistics classes. Um, we authored, uh, we offered ethnography classes, um, you know, and so I just feel, and we had a research design class. And so I, I really got help in thinking about how to design my study. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think um, was the best part of my program and sort of, you know, the unique advantage to it. 
was that I got to take a lot of methods classes. Um, you know, I think also the other thing for me in particular was the, the sense that you get from working with folks in education about where higher education sits in the broader like ecology of education in our country, right? Um, or the system, right? And so it gave me a better sense of like, you know, in, in talking to my colleagues in education in classes, you know, some of them had been teaching for 10, 15 years and came back for a PhD because they saw like a need in their community. Um, and so I got to, I feel like, learn a lot through talking to them about like literacy and language instruction in K-12 and how that like understanding that, you know, gives us a better sense of our students as they come into our first year writing classes, you know, and thinking about where our first year writing classes sit in this like line of classes that they take about writing and reading and literacy. Um, so, you know, I think I learned a lot in that way by taking literacy and language classes. You know, and I think the other thing too is that like I got exposure to learning sciences in particular. So in the education program at UC Davis, there were like, I think three or there are four main like emphasis areas. And my emphasis area within the um, School of Education was learning and mind sciences. So it's sort of like educational psychology, um, which made sense because I was interested in assessment and measurement and things like that. Um, and like how students learn, right? Um, and so that was the area that I was in and I felt like it gave me a broader sense of writing assessment too, or like assessment generally, because I wasn't just getting it through the way that like, you know, our field talks about assessment and talks about writing assessment in particular, but I was also learning a lot from my colleagues, you know, my colleagues who do like big quantitative studies of huge, massive data sets from like state testing and learning about how they think about validity and, and stuff like that. So I think that it helped me broaden my understanding of like the research that I was doing, the things that I was interested in and how we can, you know, learn from folks in education um, in, in what we do in writing studies. So I think there's a lot of like interdisciplinary potential there. Let's talk about the research you were doing at UC Davis. Your dissertation focuses on institutional ethnographies to understand basic writing programs. I would love to hear more about that research and what you discovered. You know, basic writing programs their their visibility, presence, and resources, or lack thereof, are uniquely situated within institutions. Often, tensions exist between basic writing programs and institutions because of this peculiarity. What led you to this work, and was there something that stood out the most about institutional power hierarchies and perspectives on literacy and language? Yes. Yeah, so I think um, to give like a very quick two second explanation of what my dissertation looked at, I looked at a, a cross institutional basic writing program. This was a program that had been outsourced to a local community college from a UC campus in 1993. So budget crisis in the UC system had eventually resulted in the decision to eliminate, um, quote unquote, remedial education at the UC and to funnel it down into the quote unquote lower colleges, so the community colleges. Um, and so what happened is basically these were students at this UC campus, I, I call it UC Sierra, which is not a real institution, but pseudonym. Um, and uh, these were UC Sierra students who were being taught by California community college instructors on campus at UC Sierra. So the community college instructors would come on and they would teach 
these classes. The class is essentially designed entirely around this one exam. It's the UC-wide analytical writing placement exam. Um, and this exam is one way that determines whether students have met the UC system's um, entry-level writing proficiency requirement. Um, and so the entire course was ostensibly built to be a test preparation course, even though I think the, the, the writing program administrator and the program would not have agreed with that assessment of it. But the way the course was designed, like they, they did eight essays in a 10-week quarter, and it was all like they were all based around this one exam and its structure. And the rubric for that exam was used for all assessment in the program and everything. And so the what brought me into the study was that I was teaching the class that followed that class. And my students were like traumatized by it kind of, because it was sort of like colloquially called a three quarter course, like that you would have to maybe take it three times before you would pass it. Um, and so I was really interested. I was like, what is this thing? I wanted to know more about it. And so I ended up, you know, digging in, figuring out who I needed to talk to um, and uh, eventually designing a study around it. Um, and so, you know, you, you mentioned that the basic writing programs are like so interesting in their institutional like situation. Um, and that was very much the case with this program. Like it, it was, it was centered like in this limbo space between two different institutions and thereby the students and the faculty that worked in it were positioned similarly in this limbo, right. Where they kind of, they kind of like, you know, went out for a second and then came back into the institution to continue with their writing and education. So my main focus is I wanted to understand the forces that had made it so that this program looked the way it did. And I wanted to understand how those forces impacted what the program looked like in terms of its curriculum and assessment practices and, and pedagogy. So my main focus was um, looking at how the what I call these broader macro structures. These are ooh, sorry. These are things like you know, the, the social concept of literacy and language at the time, right? Broader state perspectives on like, quote unquote, remediation or developmental writing, as we would think of it now. Um, institutional perspectives about language, right? And then as like Asao in a way would say, like racism and white supremacy, like how are these sort of macro structures on institutional and like outside of the institution impacting what happens in the classroom. So thinking about pedagogy, the curriculum of, of a program, um, how teachers are allowed to teach the textbooks that they teach with and things like this. Um, and so I thought the institutional ethnography really offered a, a perfect methodology for looking at this because it focuses so much on how the everyday experiences of a worker and the work that they do um, fit within these institutional hierarchies. Um, and so what I, I think that I ultimately learned through this about basic writing in particular is that it's really uniquely at the mercy of these outside forces. We're seeing this increasingly now with these large scale legislation, legislative moves in certain states. Um, California is a good example of that with the passage of Assembly Bills um, 705 and 1705, which have uh, changed the way um, that placement into developmental reading, writing, and math classes at the state's community colleges work. Um, and the result of that has been basically the elimination um, broadly of a lot of developmental 
education at the community colleges um, for better or for worse, right? And we're seeing it also in legislation in Nevada through our um, Nevada State Higher Education Agency, you know, essentially saying that we had to mainstream all students. And so the, the turn there through agencies like Complete College America towards um, co-requisite models and cohort models and things like that. So basic writing in particular, because it's sort of like transient or transient, right? It's like fits in this limbo space where nobody really like institutions really don't love that it exists, but they also want students like more students to be able to access college for enrollment or whatever reasons. And so they have to exist. So it's like in this limbo position, uniquely at the whims of like institutional change, like changes in institutional mindset and so on. And that was largely what I ended up finding in the study was that when you dig through like the decades of documents and you talk to the people who were there throughout the like 24 years that the, the cross institutional program existed, um, it's a lot of like, you know, interfacing with with folks at the like higher epicenters of power within the UC that ultimately ended up shaping what was going on in the program. Let's talk about your teaching, your approach to teaching centers culturally responsive practices and linguistic justice. Can you talk more about how you approach teaching writing and what this looks like in your classroom? Yeah, so I, I th my primary focus as a teacher is um, emphasizing to students what they already have and what they can build on when they come to college, right? You know, I, I do think that we often think that we are re-educating them when they come to college, to college writing classes, like we are reintroducing them to things. And I don't take that approach. I take it more like, I'm gonna help you think about how the practices related to literacy and language and writing that you already have are gonna help you, like how you can build on those existing practices, mold them into new habits, you know, work them into new in new ways. Um, so that you can be successful in other college, you know, college writing situations. So you can think about moving on to a workplace and the writing that you might do there, um, the writing that you're doing every day. So I focus a lot on like the practices of successful writers. I'm also just like, you know, I've taught in a lot of really diverse, like large state institutions. You, um, UC Davis is really diverse institution. Majority of our students were students of color. The majority of our students were, for, well, I would say about 40 to 50% of our students were first generation. The majority of students on campus spoke a language other than English at home. Um, and so we had a lot of linguistic and racial, racial and cultural diversity that matched the state of California. So, and that's the same, you know, it's very similar at UNLV, which is one of the more diverse institutions in the US right now. So I focus a lot on, um, you know, like making sure that there's representation across the readings that I assign, the types of assignments that I'm um, assigning, the top possible topics, like making sure that they can see themselves potentially in the curriculum or build ways for them to explore things about themselves or their communities or things of interest or importance to them um, in, in my class, right? Um, so, you know, representation of what of themselves within the curriculum, but also thinking about, um, you know, uh, that focus on you can find things that matter to you personally or culturally or historically or or within your communities to to look at and research in my class. So 
In terms of like assignments that might look like literacy narratives, I've often done literacy narratives in my classes. I also have like, when I was at UC Davis in particular, I was assigning a lot of discourse community research projects. And that to me was an important assignment because it was an opportunity for me to help them think in a sort of writing across the curriculum mind of like how to navigate different writing situations in classes and like circumstances they might find themselves in the future. But I also saw it as an opportunity for, for me to say, like, if you want to research the discourse practices of like this group within your community, that this is an opportunity for you to do that and learn a little bit more about yourself and um, like how that has shaped who you are um, as a reader and a writer and a learner. Um, so that's a lot of like how I focus on, you know, that's that's kind of my approach to teaching writing, I think. Since your dissertation focused on institutional hierarchies and power, are you having these conversations with students about how power is situated and circulates within different systems? Yeah, we talk a lot about questioning the sort of myth of standardized English, right? The the idea about like there is a there is a correct English, right? Um, and I, I we have conversations around like the reality of that. And the fact that like it is a myth that there is one single correct English at the same time that the fact that a lot of systems of power in our society operate through that myth means what like what does that mean for you if you are coming in from a, a different linguistic background? Um, and so, you know, we have those sort of like conversations that I hope help them think about challenging that myth at the same time that we are acknowledging that the myth exists and that, you know, it's a it's a powerful force that um, we are as a society can and should be pushing back against. Um, you know, I think about sort of ethnography. Yeah, I've done that a lot in my like my basic writing classes is um, I've done an assignment where I have them interview each other and then reflect on their literacy and reading practices. Um, and so they they get an opportunity to do that sort of autoethnography and dig deep into their own like history and practices and the moment, the sort of thing that you do kind of with the literacy narrative where you think about the moments, the people that shaped um, like you as a reader or writer. But I think this assignment helped them think about like, so I'm looking at somebody else and their experiences and relating that to myself and mine. And then we're also reading other people in the class and what they've learned about their partners and so on. And so you get this like broader sense of like what the, the community of learners in our classroom looks like in terms of language and literacy. So that's the way that I've like tentatively approached uh, including ethnography in my classes or like ethnography like things. I would like to do more of it. That's something that I'm like really interested in figuring out how to build an assignment for like a first year writing or a basic writing context that um, would really dig into that methodology as a way of learning about these things. So, How did students at UC Davis or, or now your students at UNLV take up and respond to these conversations about the myth of standardized English? I think a lot of the practical take up happens during peer review because I do frame it often around peer review where I'm like, it's not that I don't want you to comment on each other's word structure, you know, sentence structure or whatever else. Like, it's not that you can't comment on those things. And when I was working at UC Davis and we had like a huge population of international students who were 
um, learning English on the fly, right? Really, um, academic English on the fly. Uh, and the I noticed that the habit of a lot of my like um, domestic English speaking students was to pick on the grammar and things in, in during peer review. So I've often centered it in that context, context and thinking about like, how can we help each other in these moments and thinking about clarity of sentences or helping a reader understand what you're trying to say, but do it in a way that's not reinforcing the idea that you have to do this because it's correct, right? Or it's the right way to do it. Um, so we have conversations around the sort of myth of correct English, even as, like I said, we're talking about the practical reality that like there are issues of, of clarity and so on, but also expectations of readers that you're going to encounter in the future where like that is their paradigm of how they think about writing. So how do you, you know, challenge it and think through a maybe a, a community mindset at the same time that you're acknowledging that it exists, I guess, is sort of where I approach that. Stacey, your, your teaching and research also focus on writing assessment. What led you to writing assessment? And do you mind talking about classroom writing assessment practices? I have to thank, I have to shout out to my, my good friend, Dr. Ty Macklin, who is a lecturer at Boise State right now. Um, and she leads their first year writing program. She was a PhD student at Washington State University when I was a master's student. And then eventually I was, um, and I stayed on as an instructor there for three years um, before going on for my PhD. And Ty was looking at um, oral feedback to, you know, audio feedback to students. She was doing a big study of, of thinking of, of comparing, um, I believe, you know, written feedback practices to audio feedback practices and students' experiences with those and faculty experiences with those. And I was so very fascinated by this. And I had started doing audio feedback um, in response because I was interested in what that could, you know, what that could do for me and what it could do for my students. So I think that my interest in writing a start uh, writing assessment started with um, with Ty as a wonderful mentor to me. Um, but I think it it really what made me continue to be interested in it is I was dissatisfied a lot with what I felt like was the disconnect between my own assessment practices and the learning that I wanted my students to to be making in the class. And I just didn't feel like the practices that I had were like helping with that, like the feedback was, right? I felt like the students were getting stuff out of the feedback, but then the grade was something else. And it like, it just felt like there was this disconnect between those two systems. And ultimately we all work in mostly institutions that operate through a graded framework, right? So I was trying to figure out how do I like explore different ways of approaching assessment that will allow me to emphasize as much as possible the learning that I think can happen through dialogic feedback between myself and students, like me giving them feedback, them reflecting on it, asking me questions, us having a conversation about it. Um, and ultimately the like grade at the end of the you know semester. Um, so in, th in terms of like how I approach writing assessment, it is really through that like feedback mentality that the feedback is the most important part of the assessment. Um, and I've tried so many different types of response um, and I'm, I'm back to written response now. Um, but, you know, it's just like honing my own ability to give feedback, practicing it in different ways, thinking about how I can provide, you know, community minded feedback. And I, I set up often with my students, uh, what I call a, a like community feedback, like agreement 
um, which is that it's basically a, an agreement on like attempting to the extent that we can to offer as helpful a feedback as possible to each other and like acknowledging that they are still learning what that means but that I am also held to that so that I am focusing on the kinds of feedback that we agree as a class are the ones that we're aiming for. And we do a big chart on the board where they write down the kinds of feedback that they've found helpful versus the kinds they don't find helpful. So I find that really generative. And then I, you know, keep that to Google doc that our class has as like an artifact. And then um, when I'm giving feedback, I'll point to specific things on that, you know, guideline. Um, so that's so I think that like my writing assessment in the classroom is really feedback focused. Um, I do mostly do labor based grading. So um, it's sort of a like you did it or you didn't kind of thing. Um, they don't do labor logs or things like that. But um, that's the way that I've tried as much as possible to still like, you know, meet the needs of the institution, have a grade at the end, but focus as much as possible on feedback. Um, and then I think the like final thing I'll say on it is that you know, through reading, like, you know, Asao Inoue's work and um, my own dissertation, which did draw on a lot of the research and theory related to thinking about assessment as an ecology. Um, I have really taken that to heart in my own, like, course design and thinking about it as a teacher that I do think about how do I, you know, design assignments with the assessment in mind and how do I think about the assessment with the goal of how I want them you know, what I want them to learn at the end and what this is meant to do or how it relates to the next assignment. Um, you know, the, I think all of those things are part of one big ecology, part of one big system. Um, and that if we are thinking about them as separate, that they will be separate for students as well, which is, you know, to me, it's not gonna aid in the learning. So maybe that's something I've taken from learning sciences. Um, maybe it's something I learned from, you know, my own research, but that's sort of what, um, what I've tried as much as possible to focus on as a teacher. Thanks, Stacy, And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.